All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of Hip Squared, American Fantastics Pop Culture Hour, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? It's a cool, wintry day in January, and I'm feeling fine. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you were listening to jazz music and sipping on coffee. Oh, man, we should start those with jazz music. That'd be great. <laughs> just get you in the mood, just, like, relax. This is the kind of, yeah, this should be the show that you curl up with a book, mm-hmm. uh, play it in the background, have a nice fire going. That'd be cool. If you don't have an actual fireplace, Netflix has a great oh, I know. fireplace We've video. We turned it on before. We turned it on before. It's kind of, like, um, very soothing. Mm-hmm. I noticed, and it's nice when you pair it with Christmas music in the background. Aww. And it's kind of like, yeah, a wonderful tradition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have to pair it with your own Christmas music, or is there also one that's... There's probably I, one out there my that has go together. My go-to Christmas music, and sorry, we, I know we had an entire Christmas episode recently. That's fine. Christmas <laughs> the is Vincent one. And the Vince Garaldi Charlie Brown Christmas. I just put that on the loop, basically. See, we, no, it's fine. We can have a Christmas Christmas uh, episode every week. <laughs> oh my, God, yeah. my personal favorite, Let's though, is Let's just start the... a Christmas podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's It'll July, be a spinoff. <laughs> it's July 6th. Uh, welcome to the <laughs> 23rd Christmas podcast. A Christmas podcast would actually probably be really popular. It would. People would. People love Christmas, man. But uh, right now it's January. We're in the cold grip of the dark times, and um, but we know it's going to start to get brighter and warmer eventually. I've already started noticing those little nubbin mm-hmm. um, buds on the trees where the new leaves will come from. Oh, really? That's mm. after the solstice is when they start to appear. So that's kind of like the very first barest hints of spring. Well, it should like we're starting to get more sunlight again, right? Because we already hit our like peak bottom lack of yeah. sunlight. So now it's starting to brighten up every day. Until the spring equinox and the solstice, summer solstice. All right, so to get to the pop culture part of the show, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for bearing with us, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about Stranger Things first. And um, I don't want to talk about the Stranger Things TV show specifically. If you haven't already seen it, why are you listening to our podcast? Watch all 20 episodes of Stranger Things and then turn us back on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good Netflix show. Of course, everybody knows it's got that kind of like um Stephen King, Steven Spielberg, 80s horror sci-fi vibe to it. The third season's been announced for July 4th. It's going to take place in the summer of 1985. I'm really excited about it, and I'm sure when it comes out, I'll be one of the first people to slowly watch it over a month. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, slowly watch a Netflix series? I can't series? binge. I can't watch more than two <laughs> episodes at a time. I can sit through about a movie length of shows. That's like, fair. Two is usually the most for me. Um, but there's a couple of really cool things that have spun off from Stranger Things that are still very related to the core of that universe. Um, the first one that I'm going to talk about is the soundtrack of Stranger Things. And this soundtrack was composed by Michael Stein and Kyle Dixon of the band Survive. Uh, They're a duo. And they recorded some really good synth music for Stranger Things. And they caught a lot of that 80s electronica music vibe. And they did it really well. And I think everybody knows, of course, the most popular one, the most famous one is the Stranger Things theme song. Uh, Troy, you've heard that one over and over, right? Right, right. So, I how would you describe the Stranger um, Things? Theme? It's very eerie. I mean, it's got it's it's right your '80s sci-fi style of music, but it's also just like very ominous and uh, you know has a very like downplayed tone. Yeah, it's a really neat kind of 
theme song that really sets the vibe for what you're about to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, Gets you into that kind of like X-Files, Twilight Zone, like this is going to be kind of creepy, but kind of cool. Right. Um, X-Files is the big one I was thinking of. (laughs) And the entire soundtrack to Stranger Things, though, if you listen to the music in the show, is the same kind of synth. Mm-hmm. music for the and most it's part much playing in the background like there's a lot of scenes that's playing in the background if there's no if there's no dialogue going on like it's always on yeah and it, and it's really done to great effect and as albums um the first season came out with volumes one and two mm-hmm. so that's really neat that's kind of like a double did album it, soundtrack did, the equivalent did it win any awards like it the was soundtracks? nominated so it was nominated for two uh, each one was nominated for a Grammy. Okay. So Volume 1 and Volume 2 are considered two different albums. Sure. For the purposes of the Grammys, at least. Were they, wait, were those, were those both for Season 1? or were they Yeah, they were both one? for Season 1. Oh, okay. But they were both nominated, I think, for Best Score. Okay, and, gotcha. Uh, and a TV or movie. Hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe there's an individual TV category. But anyway, they both were nominated, neither one won. Um, hmm. But I think that beyond whether they wins awards or not. I mean, it's obviously very good, high-quality music of the genre, and it fits in so well with the show. And I think especially because the theme song is so iconic now mm-hmm. that it kind of is an essential part of the TV show. And as its own musical experience, you can listen to the album, and there's parts that are really melodic and good to listen to almost catchy and then there's some that are just pure terrifying like one the ones mm-hmm. where um something really creepy or scary is happening in the show mm-hmm. but a lot of it is just like those sound like soundtracks for a horror show should set the mood because you're like if you watch a uh horror show with no sound on versus like having that having that soundtrack in the play it sets a completely different atmosphere there is no horror show out there i could think of that doesn't have music playing in the background when the when the creepy guy is sneaking up from the shadows or when the shat or when the darkness mm-hmm. is changing in front of you and speaking of horror movies and music they were heavily influenced by 80s artists and film composers and john carpenter mm-hmm. is one of their big influences so if anybody's ever seen the Sol- halloween movies there's that iconic like oh the, the michael myers music yeah yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. it's mm-hmm. kind of like just that creepy score um well there's so many different ways that you can you can like hone that too you can have the horror uh the the horror and the fast approaching with just like fast pace like pitter patter almost like the dun 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 you were just mm-hmm. mentioning or you can have the slow uh build up and like the the tension rising yeah the... that's kind of what the shining soundtrack is like this mm-hmm. the shining store score is very haunting but it's not i mean there is that like uh, the parts where it's just really loud, screechy strings, but a lot of it's just kind of cool background music that mm-hmm. starts to get more and more dire. It, and but yeah, like music and horror as a genre, I think are definitely very complementary of each other. Um, the other similarity to John Carpenter is kind of like this minimalist synthesizer score. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. If you listen to their music, it doesn't have a lot of really fast beats. There's not a lot of instrumentation. It's a lot of one kind of note or music producing element at a time Mm. Um, but it's done to really great effect and if you haven't listened to it if you like the theme song um, it's definitely at least worth a listen you can listen to it for free on youtube you can of course download it Um, Mm -hmm. but there's also a season two score which i'm not quite as familiar with 
And I found out that the one I've been listening to is actually only volume one of the first half. That's the one I've listened to over and over and over again. Oh, so you hadn't listened to the the second volume I didn't of even season realize, one? Yeah, I didn't even realize I wasn't getting the whole thing. But then when I was researching it, I realized, oh, I need to listen to the second part too. And hmm. I started to at work one day, but it was kind of inconvenient because every after every song, they wanted to play an ad. <laughs> and it's just kind of maddening. So I'll probably get it some other way. Welcome to, to the it. internet in 2019. Yeah, so I'll probably find some other way to get it where the ads are ripped out. But it's still a really good album to listen to. Um, Does it have a building tension throughout where it like is very ominous at the beginning? Because I haven't listened to the soundtrack itself all the way through, but th- is it like... Almost in the beginning, and then the speed and the tension it builds kind of throughout. Goes back and forth, so it okay. gives you a little bit of a break. It depends on which scene it's in at the time. Yeah, but okay. I don't even know. It could even be chronological throughout the series. That would make sense to me. That's how I would think you'd do it. Yeah, but... you'd have it like throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if there if there was that over that overbuilding scene, but I think that would be so much more so much easier to I do think... in a movie. Yeah, and because the TV show goes back and forth between really tense scenes mm-hmm. and then more relaxed, even comedic scenes, I think that that's part of it's also reflected in the album where it kind of you get maybe a really heavy song, but then you get something that's almost catchy and like very melodic, almost like a pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite a pop song, but just that music that's actually pleasing to listen to because there's other things that are just supposed to inspire pure dread mm-hmm. which i'm mm-hmm. sure if you're into that it's cool but i mean it's still neat to listen to because they don't go on that long it's not like 12 minutes of it or anything right. but it's really it's really high quality but i mean it has to be because it is pretty like there's some horrifying scenes and mm-hmm. like in season season one um even with like uh 11 in the tank yeah like that that was one of the ones that always kind of freaked me out of, uh in season one exactly and there's there's also some really good um soundtracks and musicians similar to what Michael Stein and Kyle Dixon did for Stranger Things. Uh, if anybody's ever played the game Hyperlight Drifter, oh yeah, I reviewed it in episode seven of the American Fantastic Radio Hour, but I also mentioned its score. It's by some, a person called Disasterpiece. Okay. And it's very much the same kind of minimalist synth, sometimes heavy, sometimes a little lighter kind of music. And that's the soundtrack for that entire game, and it's 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 a neat post-apocalyptic uh, fantasy story that's just really well done, and it doesn't have it has some similar themes with Stranger Things, but instead of being sci-fi set in the real world, it's just a pure mm-hmm. fan, fantasy kind of world. And if you want some of the more like the tense, like fast paced, fast paced, like scary on the edge of your seat i'm thinking hotline miami like right off the top yeah, of my head hotline because miami is a really good soundtrack too it has a great soundtrack and but one, it's also like it, it gets your blood racing it's more techno and upbeat mm-hmm. and, and kind of like um very good electronic music but okay i was yeah. wondering if it had synth in it i couldn't remember it does any specific i mean i spots. think yeah because there's so there's music that like on hotline miami where it actually has a beat it has mm-hmm. a drum machine going most of the time mm-hmm. but then there's music like what um is in stranger things where it's purely a synthesizer or some kind of keyboard instrument probably mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like rhythmic section to it it's almost like you imagine somebody that would play the organ yeah back in um it's just like very in the background like yeah. from, like in waves almost mm-hmm. as it hits you exactly and i'm gonna pivot from the soundtrack now because i also want to talk about one more um, one more thing. <laughs> one more thing related to Stranger Things that's not actually the TV show. There is a free mobile video game version of Stranger Things. Really? It's not nearly as dark and creepy as the show. It's actually kind of like a Zelda-style adventure game set in the Stranger <laughs> Things universe. Okay. And 
you start off as Hopper. It takes place after season one, but before season two. Okay. It's not essential to the story or anything. That's just when... So, like, everything in continuity is somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, and you start out as Hopper, and then the kids are all missing again. So you have to go search them and find them one at a time. Oh, okay. And um, first you find Luke, who ha- has a slingshot. Hopper um, uses his fists. So mm. everybody has a different power. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have hearts like in Zelda. So if you get hit, you slowly run down. When you have full hearts, you have a an extra effect. Okay. Luckily, the game's fairly generous with hearts if you just beat up all the grasses and all the barrels and that kind of You'll thing. You'll get there. The enemies are just like Zelda. There's the ones that are like the bat, bird-like enemies that kind of swoop down at you. Mm-hmm. There's just the ones that go back and forth, some that shoot at you, and they're all kind of like cartoony security guards in a lot of the parts. So how much of this is like it is based in that world versus... They wanted to make a Zelda-like game, and, oh, here's a thing we can paste yeah, over it. Yeah, no, I think it was always originally a Stranger Things game. Mm-hmm. I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to play on the nostalgia mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. So it kind of looks like a, an eight, like an 8-bit or 16-bit adventure game like Link to the Past. So, so or, you have a good story to it? Like, is there a plot in there? It's or very is it... much a puzzle action adventure. Okay. There's a little bit of plot. Like, it, it tells you what you're looking for. There is a part where you go into the un, um, the upside down. You have to yep. get a hazmat suit. <laughs> okay. You have to break into the lab. One of the kids is hiding in the lab. One of the girls, um, that's Luke. And then I just got the Nancy. She has a baseball bat, which okay. I think is also in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get all kids eventually, even including Eleven, I hope. Because I also found a pool. Hmm. It was like in a okay. background pool. And, it's like, and then when you examine it, it's kind of like, this probably wouldn't be of much use to me unless I had psychic powers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what you do is once you find a new character, you unlock their ability. Mm-hmm. And there are certain obstacles that you can't get past until you have that ability. So, okay. So in that way, it's almost like a Metroidvania kind of game. Or I guess Zelda's like that too. You have yeah. to get a certain item to get to another part. But instead of gaining items, you gain party members and you can switch back and forth. You can always have two active. Mm-hmm. So those two, you just tap a button and they switch back and forth. But you can also select a different screen and always choose which two you want. Okay, and swap people out as you need to. And you slowly unlock more and more as you play through the game. I'm playing on the classic mode which is supposed to be hard mode. It says it's, oh. it says it's 1984 hard. It's really not. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it definitely has a little bit of a challenge, but there's no real penalty to die, and you just go to the beginning of the dungeon and you try uh, again. Okay. You don't lose no items. No full game or, over. Yeah, and... exactly. And um, so you can just keep doing the same puzzles over and over, and whatever progress you make in the dungeon, even if you die, that progress has already happened. Oh, okay. So you can just jump through. Sure. Exactly. And since it's a mobile game, you can save almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. You have to save outside a dungeon, but that's about it. I'm trying to figure out who thought this was a good idea. Because it sounds really interesting. I'm just surprised that they got the execs on with it. I think what it is is part of the Stranger Things marketing strategy. Oh, okay. Because it's free. Mm-hmm. There's no ads in it. But the game itself is kind of like an ad for the show. Isn't that wild? So it'd be like if in the 90s a free Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game came out. Mm-hmm. And, you, and it basically all it got you to do was watch Ninja Turtles. I mean, the, yeah. And and so, But I think it's really brilliant because I'm sure it was a very small team. Mm-hmm. It's a pixelated adventure. So it's probably on the size of an indie game mm-hmm. kind of scale. And even though it's free, it's not short. You know, it's not like an hour-long game or anything. Okay. Like, I think it probably... That's what I was thinking. Like, maybe, like, two, three hours? I was thinking maybe even five or ten, because I'm about an wow. hour and a half in, and it says I'm only done with 
15, like 12%, but that's probably 12, like out of getting every collectible. Not the full 100. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure beating the game puts you around, you know, usually like 60, around 60%. Yeah. But it's a really neat game. If you want a free mobile game to try out, it's really cool. I think they also released it. If you can figure out how to hook your phone up to a screen, I think there's oh, a, nice. there's controller compatibility now. Oh, cool. Or maybe you can just put your controller on your mobile phone. I wonder if it's also on PC. or Well, I tried to download it for Steam. So there's something you can do, which I didn't. I, I thought about trying, um, but I just eventually ended up getting it on my mobile, my Android. But you can download app emulators now. Okay, sure. So you can play apps on your computer. Hmm. Um, I don't know how legal that is, technically. It's next to legal, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not anything that you're going to get. I mean, the only way you probably get busted is if you're trying to, like, sell it on the internet or something. Right. But, um, it's, it's just, that's the way you can play it. But um, it's a really good game. Even for a mobile game, it's really neat. You can just sit down for a few minutes and play it or play through a whole dungeon and take an hour or so. Okay. That's a lot more, like, the, the idea of adver- using games as advertising is so interesting because I think the first time, like you said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Turtles, but the other one that I was thinking of was, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! back when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Like, you know, they always release the cards, and I, I remember my mom mentioning at one point, or our mom mentioning at one point, it's like, yeah, the Yu-Gi-Oh! card is essentially just an ad for the TV show. Yeah. And, like, that's... Or the TV the show is an ad act. for the cards. Yeah, it's kind of like, both, right? That's why 80s toy companies made cartoons. It wasn't to sell advertising on the TV shows to get you in the store to buy toys. Right. Like Hasbro did G.I. Joe and Transformers. Mm-hmm. Getting kind of far away from Stranger Things. <laughs> we are, but... But it is kind of related to that retro 80s culture. That's definitely the spirit that the game is putting you into. There's even 8-bit versions of the score, like 8-bit versions oh, of the really? theme song okay. at the very beginning of the oh, game. Oh, nice. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's a very different in tone to the show and to the soundtrack but it has that stranger things feel to it mm. so um yeah that's about all i had to say about stranger things go check it out if you haven't watched it and the new season comes out in july 4th i mean everybody's watched <laughs> it because you told them in the beginning they exactly. need to stop they the podcast and go and watch it now all the 10 episodes you're right you're right so <laughs> and a- along with the uh, creepy things happening so back in episode season one episode seven uh hip squared we talked about or i talked about uh, series of unfortunate events. The mm-hmm. book series turned into a Netflix uh, original series with Neil Patrick Harris as the lead and a bunch of kid actors as a bunch of kid actors. Um, so at the time, I watched season one and it just like because it had just released. It had some interesting ideas. They had confirmed it was going to go into season two. Well, they just finished season three, the final season. Um, I mean, the last episode is called The End, and they're not coming out with any more. Is it the um, end of the book series that they've gotten It's to? the end of the book series as well. Um, so the whole concept behind it is three uh, orphans are, af- um, after their house is burned down and their parents are killed, are sent off to live with their, count, uh, with their uncle, Count Olaf, who is this guy that is evil and is trying to get their fortune. And in the beginning, it all seems very simple. He's very evil. Um, these are the good kids, and how are they going to get out of this? And uh, eventually they uh, break their bonds, and they're able to escape, and um, they go on and live with another relative who um, will raise them, and, this, and a relative's great, and then 
They get along with him well, and eventually that rel- uh, Count Olaf shows up in a terrible disguise, and the relative dies. Yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit like a twisted version of Harry Potter, almost, in terms of the family background, but even darker. Yeah. And without the magic or fantasy element as much, but it's almost like Harry Potter crossed with Charles Dickens, almost. Right, right. And it's... So the the series does uh, one thing in particular that I like a lot, which is if you're a... The age group that it was set out for, or like a young adult, it does a great job um, describing different words, idioms, um, phrases that you, or phrases or stories that a lot of us have heard as adults, but like hadn't heard as kids. So one of them is they explain the story of um, um, there's three blind men that are um, standing next to an elephant, and one feels the trunk and says it's a snake, one feels the leg and says it's a wall, and mm-hmm. they explain that whole story. The whole so, proverb. Yeah, the proverb behind that. So they do. Um, describe different ideas like that throughout the show, which is, I talked about it in the first uh, time we talked about it. Really cool concept. Don't know if anything else does it, and they t- teach it to you in a story-like atmosphere. Yeah, that's really... Do they do that in the show as well? Yeah, no, that's that. Yeah, that, that's okay. what they do in the show as well. Right, right. Um, so the whole concept behind the show, um, at one point it gets a bit tricky if you're a um someone looking from it from the outside and don't really understand what's going on because count olaf always comes in in these silly disguises um like over the top disguises weird accent so does the viewer know who he is and the viewer can clearly tell who he is Do the kids realize who it the is the kids know who it is but the adult never does Oh, okay, and so they're trying to save the adult from getting killed by Count Olaf. Right, and they, ne- they almost never do. The adult always dies in some horrible, tragic accident, and uh, but then life goes on. So, at first, it seems it's really difficult to get along with the story because you're like, why are these adults not seeing it? <laughs> and it wasn't until, I think, season two or three that it's actually explained in story. It's like, no, this is why, like, there's a legitimate reason these adults aren't seeing this oh, through this some, disguise. Like, magical effect or something like that almost? Uh, essentially that his disguise is so... Their disguise is ingrained in a culture um, in the story of his um, secret organization that he works with that nobody else would understand. But these kids, like a lot of kids can see through it as well as certain adults also in the organization. Okay. But anyone outside of the organization doesn't understand it. Okay, neat. Yeah, so they... they I like that they like finally explain this is why so people read don't the see through it. Books before? Uh, I read through book seven. The so wasn't that explained in the books too? It didn't get to that point because it wasn't until it's not until like book nine or ten that they explained that. Oh, but they it's explained really it earlier late. in the show. Or they explained um, it just recently when you were watching. Yeah, yeah, they explained it, and they explained it after. Well, I finished everything. They explained mm-hmm. it. I think again close to books nine or ten, um, but I hadn't gotten to it when I read the books myself. Um, so I didn't know, realize that was the case. I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, seem... and then Neil Patrick Harris is the one that plays Count Olaf all yeah. the time. Okay. Yeah. And he, he's a great actor. He like, I mean, he's Neil Patrick Harris. He's funny. He's entertaining and a joy to watch the whole time. Does he carry the show? Is he on the screen a lot? Yeah. He's on the screen a lot. Um, I would actually say the kids carry the show. Like he is, he is a fantastic character and, um, a great supporting actor. Um, and carries his role really well, but the kids actually, by the third season, they're carrying the show themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's interesting to see also like how they grow up because I mean this show was recorded over 
three years. So Sonny goes from being like a one, like probably under one year old, mm-hmm. probably like nine month old mm-hmm. baby to now she's like four. <laughs> so does that in the story too? Yeah. Well, I don't think it was supposed to do it that okay. way in the story, but like she's always supposed to be a baby, but in the show she has to age. Yeah. Cause they can't film that fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like by the end of it, she's like, Oh yeah, you can actually understand what she's saying. I don't mm-hmm. think this is how it was supposed to go. I but... think part of what TV shows should do is consider themselves their own separate universe to mm-hmm. the book. Because that's how I view Game of Thrones as well. I enjoy the TV show as a TV show based on the books, but not mm-hmm. not one to one. Well, and uh, and I guess this book is like that too. Your trick is: are you, sure you can say that, but is your audience going to be okay with that? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that there's you know, a lot of whiny fanboys. Sometimes. Exactly, <laughs> there are a lot of whiny fanboys but out you there. You had to keep getting different babies, babies while yeah. the other kids still aged anyway. Right, and I think that's why they kind of just said, "It's like, all right, this is how it's going to go." Um, by the end of it, though, um, the actress who played Claus and uh, Violet actually like played well into the roles. They were I was mm-hmm. really impressed with um, how well they held the screen and uh, the attention throughout the show. So, um, in the end, they they do a lot of MacGuffins. Yeah, there are a lot <laughs> of MacGuffins. There's a lot of things that it's like, okay, why do they need to do this? All right, let is me drop the plot element in. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a one big one is the sugar bowl, um, mm-hmm. which like they they describe. Oh, we need to find the sugar bowl. Well, Where's the sugar you bowl? You can also say in Harry Potter, the Horcrux is a MacGuffin device. I mean, it is because it drives the plot of the last two or three books. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's there's a lot of things on MacGuffins, but it's uh, it's how you it well you use the, them. Yeah, it's it's how well you use them and how obvious you make them. But you also need to have themes beyond that between characters or larger mm-hmm. ideas because. If the MacGuffin is used to drive the plot, but the themes and the characters are meaningful, then it doesn't matter if the plot is just kind of like a silly, oh, we need to find X to do Y kind of right. plot. But at the same time, you have to have more than just that. Like, that can't be all it is. Right. And they, they play hard into a trope that I gets really annoying by the end of the third season, which is Klaus is the, is the investigator and Violet's the inventor. Like, okay. to the point that it's like, okay, well, now they're stuck in this situation. What book is Klaus going to have to read to get them mm-hmm. out of it? Which is also, like, a nice concept. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you you know, you want to teach kids that, like, hey, if you learn, you can get out. You can mm-hmm. do what you need to do. But it, it gets kind of is annoying. Is that something that's end. added by the show, too, is those roles of... No, that's, that's big that's in the book. In the mm-hmm. okay. and it's just, it's not as... It's not as painful, I yeah. guess, or it, or maybe it is as painful, and I'm just an adult and hadn't like and hadn't mm-hmm. read those books in so long, I hadn't realized it. Yeah, I uh, feel like in a lot of adventure stories, you need people with separate kinds of skills, because otherwise, it's kind of like if everybody can do everything, mm-hmm. or if there's no real differentiation between the characters, then I think that makes it more interesting in a way. But at the same time, it can be sort of like. Their characters have to be more complex than this person is the inventor. Like they right. have to be like some a, substance behind that too. Like I would be, I'd be really interested to have seen them. Like okay, he's the inventor, and then like, or he's the researcher, and then start branching out from that. He's the researcher, so he reads like books really fast, or he's the researcher, so he knows all of these things inherently, which kind of happens. But the times when it's important, it's like okay, now he needs to go read a book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but between that. Um, there was a like there was a lot of MacGuffins and but also there was a lot of really interesting um 
you know, plot point is dropped. How are we going to figure this out? And by the end, they did something really cool where um, at the beginning of the show, you remember how I described it as Count Olaf is this evil guy and all these kids mm-hmm. are the good guys trying to just survive. By the end, I mean, they've spent three seasons going through it, but you you finally get to a point. It's like, okay, maybe everyone isn't just good or evil. Yeah, there's more complex. There's more gray area mm-hmm. in there, and there's reasons for why people have done the things they've done. And I really like that in the last probably three or four episodes, they explored that a lot, where, like, the guy that was always evil, okay, why was he, why mm. was he this way? And then you get to see some of the backstory. Did you feel like it has a satisfying ending? <laughs> I mean, it was it was one of those, like, it's... I wanted something, like, some big reveal, like, oh, everyone, everyone's okay all along, or, um, like, something really dramatic. And it was, it was mostly just depressing, which kind of is correct with something called the seri- a series of unfortunate events. Like, in he's been... Lemony Snicket throughout the whole show has been telling you, it's like, I'm sorry I have to tell you this tragic sta- the, this tragic tale. And that's how he starts almost every episode. It's like, really, if you, want a, if you want a happy story, go somewhere else. But you always have that hope at the beginning that it's going to be fine, that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And by the end, it just isn't. And it's one of those... Like, I think I, I would have a really hard time if at least the kids didn't get out okay. Or at uh, least, like, marginally. Because it's mean, like, like if they're... everybody's just in a horrible situation at the end, it's kind of like, well, why did I read... Why did I get so invested in these characters that are all going to get driven into the ground at the end of the show? I mean, it's one of those, like, where the kids are safe, but mm. happy? Ugh. Yeah. They can, they, they can say they're happy, but, like, the life events and all of the people they've met throughout the story, like, mm. there's... That's one of the things that surprised me is that um, and I'm going full spoilers of this here okay. at this point here. Uh, one of the things that surprised me is by the end, almost no one is alive. Like all of the main characters that you've been following throughout this are dead, except for like the three kids and mm-hmm. one other person. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. And like for, for a kid's story, That's hard, yeah. it's really wild that they, that they go through all that. But I think this, I think series of unfortunate events was also meant, I think it was created to teach kids about death. Yeah. That like, People will be in your lives that are a huge impact to you and change your lives in different ways, and they will and they will leave. And that there's nothing you can do besides be okay with it and grow from there as mm-hmm. a person. I read Dragonlance going up, and then that story, there's one main character that dies in the first trilogy. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a little bit more important than Boromir, but the same sort of equivalent. Sure. Um, and a more good character. But anyway... That was really affecting for me, and I know in Final Fantasy VII when Aeris dies, I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes those single deaths can be even more impactful than a show like Game of Thrones where it's like, well, we know half of everybody's going to die anyway, mm-hmm. and almost toward the end you can sort of become desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. For me, there was it was a book called, and I believe, I've, look, I've tried looking for it for years, it was called uh, On Eagle's Wings. And it's a story about a kid and his friend that go through all of these hardships, and essentially this kid is like the leader and his friend's kind of a follower or his by his side. And they go through all these hardships and they work and they work. And eventually he becomes like, they get to this kingdom and this kid after winning a championship becomes the king or the ruler. And then he's stabbed and dies. Wow. <laughs> and it's, and there's, and you look and it's like, there's still like a hundred pages left. What's going on. So from there, you're like, I can't believe he's dead. Like, maybe maybe like he didn't actually die or mm-hmm. something like that. It's like, no. Now it goes to his friends, like, the friend that's been the follower this whole time. Mm-hmm. Now it's from his story. Wow. And it follows him through the last hundred pages so of, like, like, getting if, his revenge. And be like if Watson 
Yeah, <laughs> had his own arc after Sherlock Holmes died. Yes, well, but like you weren't, but you weren't expecting Sherlock Holmes to die. You're just mm-hmm. reading a book. It's like, oh, and then Holmes is dead, and now mm-hmm. we're gonna follow Watson the rest thing, of the way. Yeah, movies and books that have people that kill main characters are a big. It's like a big shocking event. I know what the first famous example is probably Psycho. Mm-hmm. But um, is there anybody like that in series of unfortunate events that like you think is going to be a character throughout the whole series and then they die all of a sudden? Um, I mean, anytime you meet a um, meet one of the relatives that's supposed to take care of them, you think it's like, oh, maybe they'll make it through or they'll be like really important to him. And they always die. But there was one in particular because um, the book is written by Lemony Snicket, right? Lemony, like mm-hmm. written by Lemony Snicket. Yeah, he's got a, it's a pseudonym, obviously. Right, but the Lemony Snicket is a character within the book itself. Neat. Um, and and like book eight, I think you meet his brother. Um, oh, he's another Snicket, and I can't remember his name. So that's how he knows all these details, is because he's part of the story. Well, that's what you think. It's like, oh, he knows it because of his brother that he's met. Mm-hmm. By the end of book eight, his brother dies, and it's like. Like that was the yeah. one that surprised me <laughs> because it was actually it was Nathan Fillion that was the actor. Uh, okay. So it was like, oh, they got this big actor to come in and play this role. He's mm-hmm. probably going to be here through the rest of the season or through the rest of the show. And he died like two episodes after he was introduced. Like Nathan Fillion from Firefly. And yeah, from um, I don't know what everything there else he's been in. There was a show that he was in when he was a detective. No, he was like a de- guy that wrote detective novels that kind of was a detective. It was almost like Murder She Wrote a little bit. Yeah, but he, he's can, been in a ton Castle, of stuff. That's what it's called. Castle. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it was on Netflix at least. Kelly really mm-hmm. likes it. Um, did you have any other things that you wanted to talk about in terms of Living Me Snicket or um, um, series of unfortunate events? Um, it's a good show. I recommend. Uh, I recommend recommend trying. I, I think at the beginning I recommended trying if you had read the books. I'd say the same thing, but don't get your hopes up. It's yeah. it's a fine series, and it's if, fun to watch. I think the way I would experience series of unfortunate events is probably just reading the books. That's fair. And maybe even reading it as an audiobook, but I think it sounds like a really cool series, and I might give it a chance just for Neil Patrick Harris. I yeah. might at least watch the first season and see if I like it a lot. And it's really it's really intended for like kids. And it's like it's him. really well written for kids, even though there is all this death throughout yeah. it. Like it's it's very much a kid's well, show. Well I talk about watching She-Ra and Voltron, so I have no problem watching a kid's show. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I did want to thank everybody so much for listening to this episode of Hip Square. Uh, if you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes, share us on Facebook. Leave a comment and tell us you listened or hit the like button because yeah. we don't really know how big of an audience we have. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is good to know, at least like even if it's just friends telling me they've listened, that's all very – I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. Um, and I also wanted to tell you that you can check out a lot more cool content at AmericanFantastic.com. You can find all the episodes of Hip Square there, all the episodes of the American Fantastic Radio Hour. You can find a lot of my writing, um, my friends who are artists and photographers – you can find some of our um, producer Mayplex Monks's cool YouTube content of riding bikes through the woods with cool music in the background. Um, you can also like us on Facebook, share us there. You can find us on Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to become a member of American Fantastic, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month. Um, and, and like the sign says, anything helps. Um, and oh, I did also want to mention, I did briefly mention that we're on iTunes now, but that's also a way that you can subscribe to the show. Woo-hoo. So if you don't want to follow us you know if you don't want to necessarily catch it when we post it on facebook you can just subscribe to it on apple Podcasts or itunes and it'll just show up in your feed we i don't know how to get on every single platform or um <laughs> aggregator 
But you can also just Google Hip Squared and download episodes from the website if you want to. You don't even have to stream it. You can just download the files straight from the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's about all I had to say. We are produced by Mayplex Monk. Uh, you can check out more of his stuff at mayplexmonks.com. Uh, we appreciate his help very much. He also edits the show, and we really couldn't do this without him. Um, and I also wanted to thank danosongs.com for our intro and outro theme. If anybody needs some royalty-free music for your project, check it out. Um, and last but not least, I was recently on an episode of Two Nuts in a Pod, which is my friend Lizzie's and Emery's podcast about mental health. So if you want to hear more of me on that show and my um, struggles with mental health, if anybody listened to the episode where I talked about books related to bipolar, um, or if you have interest in mental health, that's definitely a cool show to check out. And it's also just a cool show to listen to, even if you're just interested in podcasts in general. All right. Troy, did I forget anything? Uh, I think you got it all. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.